are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to the Friday edition of the Locked On NFL Podcast. I'm Chris Carter from Locked On Steelers. He's your boy Q from Locked On Raiders. And we're bringing you another Friday edition. Now, for the next month or so, a little bit longer, we got our training camp previews. Where each day on the Lockdown NFL podcast, we are previewing another NFL team. Today, we are blessed to have the one and only Corbin Smith, who does the Lockdown Seahawks podcast, right here with us on on the show to talk about those Seahawks. Corbin, how you doing, my man? Doing great, man. I, I can't believe that we're only a month away from training camp. It's gone much faster than last year. I wonder why. Right, right. No, <laughs> no doubt about that. And Corbin, before we really jump into it, my man, the 12s, they're going to be back this year. You know, the stadium is going to be packed. That's going to be a big deal. In, in 2020, uh, I didn't feel like there was any real home field advantages for anyone. And I'm sure the Seahawks of all teams really felt that in a major way. You look at the record and you wouldn't think so. They were seven and one at home, but then they lost their home wild card game. And, and right. I'm telling you, I, I don't know if they would have won that game against the Rams, but that was the game where not having fans in the stands was absolutely killer. And, and I've dished an ultimatum to the fans because I, I feel like after the two Super Bowls, they've kind of stepped their foot off the pedal a little bit in terms of volume. You know, you didn't get to go to any games last year. You have no excuse now. They need to take it to another level this year, and I think they are going to. It is going to be an absolute pain for every team that comes to Lumen Field this year. I certainly, I certainly can see that that being a case. Uh, the, the, the Seahawks fans, they have a reputation of being loud. That stadium is ridiculous. I mean, you guys have set earthquakes off. You know, it's 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 on another level. So I totally, I, I'm 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 kind of excited to see. I think that's what we're all kind of excited to see, just with football. We've seen it with like the NHL and you know and the NBA, but football stadiums losing their minds on Sundays. That's what everyone wants to see to get the sense of sports is fully back. I'm sure that's going to be something something that we all look forward to. But Corbin, we wanted to start off talking to you about the, the Seahawks offense because that's the part of the team that I mean that, that people are always going to be excited about so long as Russell Wilson plays plays there. Now I know there was some hubbub about Russell Wilson. What can you tell our listeners about just the situation with him and the team? It, it, you know, I, I understand it to be calmed down and like the all the stuff that was being made noise earlier in the offseason has kind of been at least brushed under the rug. So I actually had a chance to talk to Q about this earlier in the offseason because the Raiders were one of the four teams that were on Russell Wilson's list. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I actually asked Russ about that a couple of weeks ago. I finally had a chance to talk to him, speaking with the media and uh, – he made it clear that there was a misunderstanding there and he never really demanded a trade. And, and I don't know if that's necessarily what happened, but that's what was told to us. And the more that I dug into it, though, as this saga went on, it became clear with the people I was talking to that this was being overblown. Now, I don't know what his agent was trying to accomplish by giving Adam Shepard those four teams, but all along, everybody I talked to said he wants to be in Seattle. There are just some things that he's looking for. And obviously, he wanted the offensive line to get better. They went out and got Gabe Jackson. He was really excited about that. And he should be one of the best pass-protecting guards in the league. That's an upgrade at that position. 
They go out and they draft Dwayne Eskridge, who's a different style receiver than, than DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. And maybe the biggest addition a lot of people haven't been talking about outside of Seattle, Gerald Everett is going to be a really nice fit in this offense, a, a tight end that can stretch the field. And he's played for Shane Waldron, the new coordinator, his first four years with the Rams. So he offers familiarity. And so they have added some pieces of the skill positions. They got Chris Carson coming back. They upgraded their O-line with Gabe Jackson. So I think he's really happy now with where things stand. Now, they need to win games and they need to advance into the playoffs or we could be back in the same spot next offseason. But for now, it does feel like they've been able to mend things. And I do think Russell Wilson wants to stay in Seattle, but he also wants to win Super Bowls. So they got to win games. they got to take that next step forward and threaten for a Super Bowl championship or we might be in the same spot again. Talking right now with Corbin Smith. He's the host of uh, Locked On Seahawks here on uh, Locked On NFL on this Friday edition. We're talking all things Seahawks training camp. And Corbin, Russell Wilson obviously wants to cook. He wants to be the guy, and he's got the talent and ability to do it. But let's make no mistake about it. The Seahawks won a Super Bowl with great defense and a run game. The run game hasn't been there since Beast Mode the first time walked out the door. How do they establish that part of their game where it's back to the next level, where it was dominant, where uh, beast mode was there? Well, one thing, they got to find a way to keep their running backs healthy. That's really been the biggest issue they've had. And Chris Carson, I think, has been more durable than what the narrative says. He's played the vast majority of Seattle's games, but he has had some significant injuries. And I wonder how far that team would have gone a couple years ago if they would have had Chris Carson in the playoffs. And, yeah, Marshawn Lynch returning, the story was fantastic, scoring right. three touchdowns in the playoffs. But he was averaging like two yards a carry. He was not the beast mode of old. If they would have had Chris Carson in that game against Green Bay, I think they absolutely win. And then they proved they could play against the 49ers. They beat them the first time, and they almost won in Week 17. So that would have been a thrilling NFC Championship game. But nonetheless, it didn't happen. They've got to keep their running backs healthy. And I'm really curious to see what Shane Waldron, the new coordinator, does with the run game. Because if it's anything like the Rams' offense, I'm expecting a lot more wide zone than what we saw the last couple of years with Brian Schottenheimer as the coordinator. And Chris Carton's a back that can run in any system. He's He's got a very well-rounded skill set. But I think the player that could be the X factor there, and I'm still banking on him being healthy, Rashad Penny just has not been able to stay on the field. But Rashad Penny, if they're running more single back, under center, and more wide zone, that checks off everything that makes Rashad Penny tick with his explosiveness. And so I still think that that one-two punch can be as good as any in football you've just got to keep them on the field. That's been the biggest issue for them is keeping the running backs healthy. If they can do that, they've got the talent back there to be able to run the football well, especially adding Gabe Jackson to that front line. Do you think they need that run game to get back to where they want to be? I do. I I don't necessarily, I don't subscribe to the idea that running backs don't matter because I think that's ludicrous, Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm leaning towards it. You know, it's not as obviously important as the passing game is in today's NFL, but I do think Russell Wilson needs to have a quality run game at his disposal. I mean, look what Tom Brady did last year when Leonard Fournette took off in the playoffs. The running game is still something that matters. It's just, it's not, it's not the same as your quarterback in the passing game. Uh, You're not going to win games exclusively running the football, but I do think, having that run game playing like it was in 2018 would be a really nice compliment to what Russell Wilson does. And I think it would take some pressure off him. I think that was part of the reason he threw so many interceptions 
the middle of last season is I think he felt some of the weight on his shoulders from not having a complimentary run game to go with him. And they tried to force it a little bit at times in the second half. And really the second half, the offense was just completely out of sorts. And Wilson wasn't playing well. He had comparable numbers to Mitch Trubisky the last eight games. That's all you (laughs) need to know where he was at last season. But yeah, having that run game is going to be valuable for them. And I think they've got the players to do it. It really just boils down to health. And does the scheme change end up bringing out the best in those running backs that they have on the roster? Absolutely. My last question here, Corbin, you know, you talked about the pressure being on Russell Wilson. What about the actual pressure that's on Russell Wilson? 47 sacks last year, you know, at 32, the older he gets, he's got to be able to protect himself uh, a a lot more. The the team has to find a way to protect him because you can't afford to take that many hits for for that many uh, again this season as they want to keep trying to protect him and keep him in, in the fold with the Seahawks. Yeah, and this is the way that I feel about Russell Wilson, his comments about getting hit in the early in the offseason. What really started the trade rumors and trade speculation talk this offseason, he has been hit a lot in his career. I can understand what he's frustrated about. But last year, I don't think the issue was the offensive line. They were one of the most improved offensive lines. They were a top 10 unit for pass block win rate on ESPN. I mean, this is a line that was playing much better than they were the year before. They had some injuries at the end of the season, so that impacted their play, and the Rams torched them in the playoff game. But the Rams' defensive line is extremely talented, led by Aaron Donald. It's going to happen. And, again, the injuries are certainly an issue. But I think this falls more on number three than it does the offensive line. When you look back at last year, when they were really struggling in the second half, he was gun-shy. He was indecisive. He wasn't getting the football to his receivers when they were getting open. You watch the film, especially the last couple of games. It's like, you've got receivers running wide open in the middle of the field. And he just, I don't know if it's because of his height, he doesn't see them or if he was just gun shy because he threw so many interceptions earlier in the year, what it was, but he just was not his normal decisive self getting the football out. And that allowed the pass rush to get to him. And then it just, it was one of those things that just snowballed as the season went on. And so that's where I stand. I think this offensive line is a lot better than advertised. He's played behind some really bad ones, but I don't think it was the big issue that a lot of people made his comments out uh, to make it look like it is. Now, Corbin, we're going to talk defense in the next segment, but before we do that, I want to ask you about DK Metcalf. He was a guy that all the teams in the league overlooks multiple times, and he's a big-time playmaker for the Seahawks. How does DK take his game? to the next level. What does he need to do to improve, even though he had a hell of a season as a wide receiver, but how does he improve and really be that alpha dog for the Seahawks? Two big areas where DK Metcalf still can make a lot of jumps. His route running, I think last year he really went from being a around a C average route runner to being in the Bs. He still got some room to grow in that area and drops. He had several big drops last year. That is still an area that he has told reporters that he wants to clean up and watch the film. That's probably the biggest issue with him. But you fix the route running a little more, make it a little more refined, especially when he's working out of the slot. They used him more in that capacity last year than they did his rookie season. And he lowers the number of drops that he has, is a bit more reliable with bringing in passes from Russell Wilson. I'm looking at him as a guy that can get you 17, 1800 yards in a season at some point. He's got that kind of talent and he's only 23 years old. That's what really makes it scary is he's still a puppy in this league. Absolutely. Like you said, we're going to talk about the Seahawks defense and what we're looking at this year. But first we got to talk to our friends at betonline.ag. 
BetOnline.ag, the only place that we trust here in the Lockdown Podcast Network to place bets on. Even though football season's over, there's a ton of different ways to make money by gambling on sports right now. If you go to BetOnline.ag today and sign up for your free account, you'll get a 50% bonus to your first deposit simply by entering the promo code Locked on. That's L O C K E D O N. Locked on. All capital letters and all one word. And that will get you your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Right now, sure, the NFL is done, but you can put money down on where certain free agents might be going in the NFL. You can also bet on college basketball, the NBA, and the NHL. All different ways to get off the sidelines and get in on the action. BetOnline.ag. Remember, Use that promo code locked on, L O C K E D O N, locked on, all capital letters, all one words, to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Back here on the Friday edition of the Locked On NFL Podcast, I'm Chris Carter. He's your boy Q. We are keeping it rolling with Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks. Talking, we talked about the offense, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, all the things about the offense, but the defense for the Seahawks, Corbin, you still got. The key playmakers in the middle of the defense. You still got um, you still got Jamal Adams, who's going to be who's going to be flying around the field. You still got Bobby Wagner, arguably the best linebacker in football. Is that what this defense is going to have to really depend on this year, or are there other guys that are going to be that are being overlooked by a lot of people as to what's going to constitute the the the, the center of this de- defense? Obviously, the building blocks, your superstars, are Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams. And I'm going to bunch one other name in there. Okay. I think Quandre Diggs, and I've been saying this for a year and a half, I think he is criminally underrated. He's one of only five safeties in the last two years to have eight or more interceptions. And, oh, by the way, he's done that in six less games than the next guy on that list. He is a ball hawk. And I made this argument on our Locked on Seahawks podcast a few weeks ago. Jamal Adams is the better player of the two. But when you look at Seattle's scheme, if you've ever seen them play without a good free safety in the Pete Carroll era, it has been a disaster. It is the most important position on their defense. And so I would make the argument, Quandre Diggs is going to be free agent after this year too. I think he is the most valuable player of those two from a scheme standpoint. You need that ball hawking free safety. So to me, those are the three guys that jump out immediately as the stars of this defense. And Carlos Dunlap gave him a big lift coming over last year. They re-signed him. So the pass rush should be a lot better. But if you're looking for a couple names, young guys that could step up this year, Jordan Brooks next to Bobby Wagner, I think he's got Pro Bowl borderline all-pro potential. First round pick from two years ago. Honestly, when he was picked, a lot of people threw a hissy fit about it because they're like, you have Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. Why are you drafting a linebacker? But he just, the performances that he put on in the second half last year is he started to get more snaps under his belt. He had a game with 13 tackles. He had a couple other games where he was close to double digits, flying all over the field. Great athlete, improved in coverage as the year progressed. He's going to be the guy now at weak side linebacker. He's why KJ Wright is not getting re-signed, or at least hasn't been to this point, because they are ready for Jordan Brooks to be an every-down linebacker. I think he's going to be in for a big year. And, of course, Puna Ford in the trenches. No more Jaron Reed releasing him going to Kansas City. Puna Ford has been one of the most electric defensive tackles in the National Football League the last two years that a lot of people outside of Seattle don't know about, but he had 28 quarterback pressures last year. I think he could be a guy that – 
He's never had more than two sacks this season. I could see him getting five or six this year because he's a really good athlete. He's a phenomenal football player. And now he is the guy at that three tech position. And so he and Jordan Brooks are the two players away from your big name stars on Seattle's defense that I think are in line for having monster seasons in 2021. Corbin, let's go back to the safety position. You talk about Diggs. I feel like uh, the Seahawks stole him away from the Detroit Lions, and then they gave up a King's ransom for Jamal Adams from the Jets. I mean, it's kind of like the yin and the yang. My problem with the whole deal was they didn't re-sign Jamal Adams at that moment. What's it going to take to get him under a a contract that he's going to be happy with? So I've been told by a few people that he was aiming for $19, $20 million per year. I don't see the Seahawks being willing to do that. Right. So leverage maybe is on the player's side here because the Seahawks did not extend him when they made that trade. But I was not surprised that that's what they did. They wanted to see how things are going to play out. When you give up that many first-round picks, though, you might want to extend him. That's just my viewpoint on it. But uh, I think he's going to have a deal done a few days before they actually hit the field. They're supposed to report, I believe, on the 29th, and then a couple days after that, they have their first practice. Maybe it's the 27th, but late July, they're going to be reporting. That is really the wheelhouse for John Schneider to extend players. So my prediction is he's going to be in that $17 million per year range. I think that's where that's what the Seahawks will be willing to pay him. And John Schneider, typically, when he makes an offer, he is not going to up the ante. Jadevian Clowney will tell you all about that. They have a value they put on players, and if he's not willing to take that deal, then they'll go into training camp. We'll see whether he holds out or not. They can use the franchise tag on him after this year, so they can keep him. They want to avoid that, though. So I'm very optimistic that they are going to have this deal done early in training camp, and I think that's $17 million per year range. He's going to easily be the highest-paid safety. Not going to get the pass rusher money that he wants, but he's got to be realistic here. He's not going to get that deal. I'll be surprised if Seattle gives him more than that. Speaking of pass rushing, the Seahawks had the seventh most sacks in the NFL last year with with 46. That's that's impressive considering all you know all the things that everyone was going through with, with just COVID and you know having to get all these moving pieces. But Corbin, with the with the segments they produced last year, is that something that you think is sustainable for this year? And how important do you think it is to the this this team's overall success? Are they going to be dependent on that pass rush being as effective? I don't know that they necessarily need this pass rush to be quite as good as it was the second half last year. I mean, when they got Carlos Dunlap, just the ripple effect, they led the NFL in sacks from week eight on. And so they were getting after quarterbacks and Dunlap was a big part of that. Just his presence was helping players like Jaron Reed and Alton Robinson, one of their young defensive ends that had some big sacks in the second half of the season. And Benson Mayoa came to life in the second half of the season. So Carlos Dunlap returning, I think, is going to give them a great chance for that group to continue playing at that high level. And with the secondary talent that they have, especially the safety position, I think it's a big deal if they're able to do that. And what I think the big difference between now and the second half last year, if they can have Alden Smith available, we don't know if he's going to be available to play or not. His legal issues are still being worked out. But they did add Kerry Hyder, who had eight sacks for the 49ers last year. He can play the base spot. You can reduce him inside. They brought back Dunlap. They brought back Mayoa. Daryl Taylor is going to be playing that Sam linebacker spot, but he can play Leo defensive end too. Second round pick, they're very high on. He missed his rookie year. They're excited about him being healthy now. So they've just got a lot of bodies that they can rotate in. They shouldn't have any issues with guys getting overworked. And even in the interior, they're going to be able to play LJ Collier at defensive tackle. They're going to be able to play Rasheem Green in there. They've got Puna Ford, 
Al Woods is going to be their big run stuffer along with Brian Monet. I mean, they've just got a really solid defensive line. And the X factor here, Robert Kendiche. I don't want to get on the train. I really don't because it always derails. But he has looked really good in their mini camp and OTA session. He's in outstanding shape. And maybe he's a case where being away from the game for a year, having it taken from him was the wake-up call he needed. I know the Seahawks are very excited to see what he does once they get into actual training camp and game practices. Uh, but I think he's going to be a really fun player to watch in training camp to see if he can live up to his potential. So that's just another body you can throw in there that might be able to contribute for them on Sundays. We know he has first round talent. So I just think they have more depth across the board. Losing Jaron Reed is a significant loss, but I think they have the pieces in place to compensate for that. You know, I normally would just kind of laugh and brush off a guy like him, DJ, if he was on any other team, but the Seahawks. And the reason I say that is because the Seahawks have a tendency and they have a way Pete Carroll and company have a way of getting these guys who are a little rough around the edges, got a few issues here and there, aren't your model citizens and making it work. Why is that? Why do they have that knack? I think it's just, it's the, it's the personality of Pete Carroll. And, and you can't say that it always works out because look at Josh Gordon, for example, or Percy Harvin, Percy Harvin did get them, help them get a Super Bowl victory. So you can't say that was a complete miss, but once they realized, Hey, he's causing problems in the locker room, they unloaded him. They just took a sixth round pick for him. So he'll move on quickly in those situations when it doesn't work out, but you're right. He's had a lot of players, Marshawn Lynch being the most notable that were, causing problems with other teams brought them in and they became key cornerstones on their Super Bowl championship squad and 1200 rushing yards, four consecutive years, potentially a future hall of famer. And so they have had a lot of success with that. They embrace individuality. They embrace those different personalities and believe they have the locker room to be able to handle that. And generally they have been able to. And so that is why, again, I'm hesitant to jump on that train, but at the same time, I'm having a really hard time not buying a ticket because we know the talent is there with Robert Kendiche, and Clint Hurt is a damn good defensive line coach at that. So you put those two together, he's only 26. He's still a young guy. Yeah. He very easily could end up being a sleeper for this team in 2021, and with the depth they already have, that would be scary for the rest of the NFC West. Well, we're going to talk about the NFC West after after this next break, Corbin, because we want to talk to you about the expectations for the Seahawks. The NFC West could be the most explosive, the most dangerous division in all of football next year. We'll get to that right after we talk to our friends at rockauto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. Best of all, Prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on, that's L-O-C-K-E-D, locked on in their how did you hear about us section so that they can know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. You need a snack that's going to both help you get through the rest of your day, but also be good for you. That's where Built Bar comes in. 
Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They have 18 amazing flavors, including six of their newest ones, being caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. There's so much to enjoy. And also, don't forget, they help you lose and maintain weight. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for anyone that's currently on a keto diet. Right now, Built Bar has a special promo code for you to get a great deal on their website. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, that's LOCKEDON15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you'll get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Back here on the Locked On NFL Podcast, the Friday edition, here with Chris Carter, your boy Q, closing things out here with Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks. Now, Corbin, the NFC West kind of got a reprieve last year because the Niners were decimated with injury. The um, the Cardinals were sort of figuring things out. The Seahawks did come out on top 12 and 4. They lost, lost the Rams in the playoffs, but now you're going to have the Seahawks with, with a lot of the talent they had last year returning, the Rams getting a new quarterback at Matt Stafford, the Cardinals, Kyler Murray is going to be a year, year older. They're going to, they got, they got some help with JJ Watt on defense. And now the Niners, they, they hope they will be healthy th- this year. This could be a very interesting year as far as where this division goes in the next few years, the Seahawks sitting on top from last year. How do you think they stack up against some of the other teams and how they might make improvements this season? I think the one big X factor here when you're discussing, because to me, this is the best division in football, and I don't think it's close. I mean, you look at the depth. You could make an argument the worst team in the division is probably a nine-win team with the talent. Obviously, if if injuries hit, one of these teams could be below 500, Mark. Uh, Or in this case, with 17 games now, whatever the halfway percentage is. But we can't have any more seven and nine seasons with Jeff Fisher. But anyway, I digress. you look at the teams that are in this division, there's just so much talent. There's really good coaching. You've got dynamic quarterbacks. I think that the difference for the Seahawks is I still think they have the best quarterback in the division. Matthew Stafford is an upgrade for the Rams. So that's a big deal. Kyler Murray has a chance to be a superstar in this league. We don't know what Trey Lance is going to be. The 49ers are really excited about him. We don't know if he's going to play much this year. Jimmy Garoppolo is still there. So I think that that's a big difference maker for the Seahawks. And if everybody is healthy, Seattle has got the firepower on both sides of the ball to be able to win 12, 13 games again. The big question is going to be, are they going to be able to close out some of those close games like they did last year? Because you're going to be dealing with those week in, week out, playing a first place schedule and having to deal with the NFC West teams twice a piece. And so I think expectations as always, you've got Russell Wilson as your quarterback. You've got a team that you've gone all in building the roster for your expectation is you're going to repeat, but that is going to be easier said than done. I could see a scenario where they end up winning nine or 10 games and they finish in last place. That's, that's how big of a crapshoot the NFC West is. There's just so much talent, so many good coaches, so many good players uh, that, you know, I think the Seahawks are going to be good, but I can't sit here and say oh, first or second place. They could finish third or fourth with the teams that are in that division. There's no doubt in my mind. Corbin, you mentioned Kyler Murray and, and the expectations of him being, you know, better taking that next step. He's the guy who gave that Seahawks defense fits, you know, and of course the Seahawks play him twice a year. Why does he make the Seahawks defense kind of struggle? What, what, what is, what is it about him that, that makes the Seahawks defense 
have issues. Well, really, you look at the two games last year, the first one, they just couldn't get to him. And he's so slithery. Uh, he just finds way to, ways to he's, – he's got butter on his jersey. You just can't <laughs> tackle him. You can't like get it. your hands on him cleanly. But the second game that they played in Seattle, he only had like 15 rushing yards in that game, and he couldn't do anything. And, and really, K.J. Wright was the reason for that, playing Sam linebacker. He couldn't run read option because K.J. Wright was sitting there ready to devour him every single time. And they were able to get pressure on him that game with Carlos Dunlap, who wasn't there the first matchup. And gotcha. so I think that's been the biggest issue. They have not been able to get pressure on him. And at times they've had issues with containing the edge. So is Daryl Taylor going to be able to do that anywhere close to what K.J. Wright was in those games? That is going to be a big question mark to watch. But the pass rush should be much better with most of the guys from last year returning and some new pieces being added to the mix as well. So I'm looking at the NFC as a whole. You know, the NFC East is the NFC East. We don't know what's going on with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Like as much as like, like how Russell Wilson's situation has died down, Aaron Rodgers situation with the Packers has not. Has, has not. That's crazy. Now you, you still got the Buccaneers uh, from the NFC South. We don't know what the Saints will look like with, you know, with Drew Brees mo- moving on. But the Seahawks, I mean, if Corbin, if they can avoid the pitfalls that they had last year, if they can just kind of get back to what they when they were playing at their best, they have a legit shot to be a real problem in this conference and even represent them next year. Am I crazy for saying that? Or are there a lot of things that I'm skipping over just saying, ah, no, Chris, there's a few other things they got to work on before we're talking, you know, going to the Super Bowl with this team. No, I don't think you're off base with this. I think that they've got the players to be able to contend for a Super Bowl, especially if something happens with Aaron Rodgers, because they play the Packers in Green Bay you'd feel a lot better about your chances if you're facing Jordan Love. Now, maybe he ends up being a good starting quarterback in the NFL, but you're going to feel better going to Lambeau playing him than Aaron Rodgers. And obviously that changes the playoff landscape as well. And I I just, I look at the conference to me, Tampa Bay is still your front runner just because what they were able to accomplish in Tom Brady's first year, so much talent returning on that team. That's still going to be a dangerous squad. The NFC West, I think you can make an argument all four teams could potentially be Super Bowl teams. That's, that's how good the NFC mm. West is. Mm. I mean, all this, it really has become an arms race of Cold War proportions. Teams are just adding talented guys on both sides of the ball. And, and then one of the other teams in the division, oh, I'm going to one-up you. And that's just the way that it's been the last couple of years. Um, the NFC East has a couple of teams. If Dallas's defense plays well and Dak Prescott's healthy, the Cowboys could be a team to look out for. I, I never put money on them because they're the Dallas Cowboys. But yeah. I, I just, I think when you consider Seattle's got a quarterback that's still in his prime and Russell Wilson, he's got two elite receivers, a third one in Eskridge that could be really good as a rookie and give them a missing component in the middle of the field in that passing game. They've got a defense that played really well the second half last year. They're bringing back almost all their key players. I mean, they have no excuse at this point. You need to put up or shut up and advance deep in the playoffs. Or again, this might be why you're looking at a future without Russell Wilson. He wants to do what Tom Brady's doing. He wants to be competing for Super Bowls. And quite frankly, they have not been doing that since the second Super Bowl they lost in New England. They haven't been able to get past the divisional round. They need to find a way to do that. I think they have the team to get it done. It's just going to come down to execution and, and how well they play in Shane Waldron's offense. No pressure, Shane Waldron, but – there's a, there's a lot of pressure on him being the new coordinator with all the talent that they have on offense, the way things ended a year ago. 
you know, we, we addressed this early at the uh, beginning of the show, but, uh, you know, talking about uh, life without Russell Wilson or, or potential life without Russell Wilson, what has to happen this year? I mean, I know they came out and, and Russ during OTAs made it look like him and Pete Carroll are all good in the hood. No issues at all. Overblown. We talked about that. But what ultimately has to happen to make sure that everything really is all good in the hood? It's, you know, it's one of those situations that's fluid. I think if you're trying to make this kind of a a black and white type situation where they have to have this record or better, or they have to go this far in the playoffs or or better. I don't know if that's necessarily, I think it's more complicated than that because of this division, Seattle, it could be one of those situations. Seattle gets a wild card, but they're red hot going into the playoffs and then they go deep into the postseason. Russell Wilson's going to feel really good about that. Right. But if they have another year like last year where, they're atop the NFC West, and then somehow they get booted early in the playoffs, then I do think there's going to be a lot of pressure from his camp to get him on another team. I think at that point, it's going to be like, we just haven't been able to get over this hump. I want to win championships. I see what Tom Brady is doing in Tampa Bay. I want my chance to do that and help build my own team somewhere else. And so I really think a lot of this hinders on the playoffs and the way the team progresses as the year, as the year goes on. If it's one of those start fast, and slow type ordeals, I think that is where the Seahawks could be facing trouble. Even if they get back to the postseason, if Russell Wilson's not happy with the progress that's being made, then that could be what ultimately forces him on his way out. Well, let me ask you this real quick as a follow-up. What would the Seahawks as an organization do when it comes down to Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll? Is there a chance that they say, okay, Russ, we'll make sure that that's not an issue. Let's go get someone else to replace Pete Carroll. I'm, you know, it's tough to answer this question because I have so much respect for Pete Carroll and he's done so many great things in Seattle. And I don't know that John Schneider would be willing to do that. Okay, fair enough. I don't don't know that John Schneider would be like, you know, Russ, we really, we really love you. We're going to ask Pete, even though Pete still wants to coach. Right. It's just, that would be a really complicated situation where you would think you would side with a quarterback, but Pete Carroll's a Super Bowl championship coach, and they've been to the playoffs all but one year the last nine years. I mean, he yeah. consistently has them in the hunt. He's still coaching with incredible energy. He doesn't look like he's anywhere close to being done. And so uh, I pity whoever has to make that decision if it comes <laughs> to that point. I'm glad right. I'm not the owner. I'm glad yeah. I'm not John Schneider. I'm glad I'm not all the other people that would be involved in that decision-making process. But if I had to make a guess right now, I don't know that I would agree with this necessarily if it came to this, but – I think they'd be hard pressed. It depends on the season plays out. They'd be hard pressed to give Pete Carroll the boot with everything he's done for this franchise. Right. And I think that they would reach a point. John Schneider maybe was reaching that point this offseason where it's like, you know what? I'm done with the diva quarterback. I'm done with dealing with this. I don't know that it comes to this point, Uh, but if that situation plays out that way again, um, I'm glad that I'm a writer and I am a (laughs) podcaster and I, you know, they make good money to make those decisions, but I'm glad I don't have to be put in the middle between those two, because that would, that would just be, think about it. I mean, the Steelers might be dealing with that type of a situation soon too. Yeah. You know, there are a couple other teams that, you know, they've got talent. They haven't been able to get deep in the playoffs and eventually you get to a point where you're like, you're pitting your quarterback versus the coach or you're pitting star players against the coach. I don't know what the Seahawks are doing at that point, And I'm glad I don't have to make that choice. If it comes to that, predicting I don't think it reaches that point but we'll see what happens this season if y'all could have seen Corbin's face when Q asked that question he was (laughs) like who who 
Oh, I, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, like that was that was a, that was the pressure question from from Q right there to get getting right after Corbin. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's just a complicated issue. I mean, right. you got to think about it for your respective teams. If, if the Raiders or the Steelers had a quarterback of Russell Wilson's caliber that was in the middle of his prime, and you're you're still making the playoffs, you're winning division titles, but he's still ticked off. You know, like, I don't, and you have a coach that's won a Super Bowl. He led your team to another one. They're consistently in the playoffs. They win a bunch of division championships in a really hard division. I mean, I I just don't know how you handle that. A lot of the fans are just like, well, duh, you go to the quarterback. But I mean, I I think letting go of Pete Carroll is extremely risky too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I am glad I do not have to make that decision if it ends up boiling down to that. Right now, though, Everything seems to be okay out here in the Pacific Northwest. Well, like you said, Corbin, a lot of this is going to depend on the progress the teams make the team makes this year and where they go to make Russell Wilson feel like, hey, maybe I should stick around here because we do have a chance at winning a Super Bowl in the coming years. And there's no better place to keep track of that progress than the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Uh, Corbin, thanks so much for your time. Let people know they can find you, follow you, and get more of your work. You can find me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can uh, find us on Twitter locked underscore Seahawks. There's two of them. Make sure you go to the right one. We were never able to get access to the original locked on Seahawks account. So it's locked underscore Seahawks. You can also check out my film breakdowns and all my daily articles on the Seahawk Maven website at SeahawkMaven.com. Good stuff. Good stuff. Q, it's always great hosting a show with you on a Friday, man. Please let people know where they can find you, get your get more of your work, and follow you. Well, you can always find me on Twitter, at your boy Q254, always putting out everything, uh, uh, Locked On Raiders, Locked On Bets. Uh, put it out there on the daily on on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, and, of course, you can find the podcast anywhere you find all your favorite podcasts. And the one thing you'll guarantee you will never hear from me is me clapping in the background. I don't do that. That's that's you. I, the, I, I, what are you talking about? There, you're the clapper. No, Chris nobody clap. the clapper. Just that, that, that's, a, that's a weird title to have, man. His that's nickname a, is the clapper. No, no, it's not. Nobody calls me the clapper. That is that is just a made up name by you in this moment because Christopher you, Clapper Carter, man. That, that's man, not no. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. <laughs> that's the triple C. It's kind of like what you say. It's not a thing. Like you say, Steelers. Well, you know that ugly N-word, Steeler. Well, you know. What the, whoa, 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 Q. Q, I, you're taking this in a whole other direction, man. I don't know. Come on, man. The ugly N-word, and you're going to say it's with the Steelers. Come on. <laughs> what are we doing over here? Oh, this is, a, this is a friendly podcast. And then you took it there. Of course, he's talking about what the reality is. It's Steelers Nation. It, it's a real That's thing. That's the ugly N-word I was talking about. There it is. <laughs> There's only one nation. It's Raider Nation. We all know that. He says the only word. We got to wrap. We got to wrap. We got to get out of here before Ross gets, gets mad at me for making it too long of a show. I'm Chris Carter, Locked On Steelers. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Carter Critiques. Uh, if you want to listen to my work, subscribe to all of our work. We're all on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the app Odyssey. And it's A U D A C Y Odyssey. Rate all of our shows five stars with positive comments. It helps out the Locked On Podcast platform. We're all doing such great work here. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have a happy 4th of July and a great weekend. Be back in your ears next week.